welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Second half of Acts chapter 27, and so you can go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, there, and uh, we'll be considering that this morning. That's the passage that I just uh, read to you a minute ago. How many of you um, have ever been in a situation that you really didn't want to be in? <laughs> and maybe you remember one of those awkward moments in life, but perhaps you can recall a frightening moment. And if you're, if you're older, um, even myself, uh, one of the first memories that I have was a situation, a frightening situation, uh, a situation that seared on my memory that I would never want to be in again. I was at Maison Blanche on Clearview and Veterans. Anybody know what stands there now is the Target that's there now. I was on, at Maison Blanche with my grandma on a Saints preseason Sunday. My parents were at the game and I was with my, my grandmother and uh, I was sitting by the escalator waiting for one of her friends that we called Nana. She was down, I think, getting some cosmetics or something. And so we were upstairs waiting right by the escalator. And as kids do, uh, they, they get fidgety. As three-year-olds get do, they decide to get fidgety when they have to sit and wait for someone for a little bit. And I started playing with the handrail of the escalator. Um, and as I did, the very first memory I have is not of playing with that escalator rail, but of my hand being in the little slot where the escalator rail, the big rubber thing goes in. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's guards there now. There's cutoff buttons. Um, back in 1985, there were none of those things, mind you, right? Um, and so a third degree friction burn later, I remember someone sitting on the rail trying to stop it, trying to make that thing stop, and the ambulance coming, pulling my hand out, getting me to Oshner Hospital, and I still kind of have the scar to prove it. So I've been in situations like that. If you go back and think of your life, you remember some of those situations that are overwhelming, these things that are seared in your memory that you just can't forget. I would imagine for all of these sailors, Paul, uh, Luke, who is on this boat, these sailors, these centurions, all 276 of those people on the boat, they never stopped talking about that 14-plus-day journey for the rest of their lives, where they had Paul the prisoner. And when they left port in a time where they probably should not left port, and they got stuck at sea for 14 days, and they ended up swimming to the beach for safety. I bet they never forgot that moment all of their lives. That moment when they, they realized, you remember the story here, that all hope had been lost. That moment when they hadn't eaten for 14 days and uh, they suspect finally that shore is approaching as they're taking these soundings and realizing that the depth of the sea is getting lesser and lesser. Then they remember the time those sailors probably did where they uh, kind of got uh, a little dishonest and they went to the front of the ship and, and acted like they're going to throw the anchors down in order to save the ship, but they're really trying to save themselves. Did you notice that in the story that the sailors wanted to get off on the lifeboat and abandon ship? And they remember when Paul said, don't do that. And the centurions probably took the swords and cut those ropes and they no longer had lifeboats. I would imagine they would remember that moment where Paul finally urged them like, brothers, you got to eat something. Y'all been after this for 14 days. You got to eat something. And they ate and they were encouraged. One commentator named Ben Witherington notes that 
Uh, perhaps they had all of this grain and wheat on the ship because after they ate and you heard that they threw all of this overboard, that uh, it was known that some emperors would offer bounties for folks willing to brave the dangerous seas to bring some grain to Rome. So it could have been that the reason they were so desperate to get to Rome was not because God had promised to get Paul there. They were trying to put a little money in their pockets uh, from the emperor for braving the seas and getting themselves along with that grain to Rome. They probably remembered that time forever when Paul urged them to eat and broke bread and gave thanks. And when they ran upon the reef and the the breakers just began to tear the ship apart. Did you notice that in the story? And then some, they say, who can swim? People raised their hands, I guess, that they raised their hands back in the day. And they began to swim to shore. And the others had to, kind of like Swiss Family Robinson. Do you remember that movie? They kind of had to get on barrels and planks and make their way to shore. I'm sure they remember when the soldiers were about to kill these prisoners to save their own selves. And Paul said, and finally the centurion said, don't do it. And I would imagine they remember that time where all 276 against all odds made it to shore. Kent Hughes, a a pastor, says, says this, Why are these storms and shipwrecks allowed by God? And here's what he says. He says, God who controls the winds and the waves could certainly have spared Paul this dire strait. And we know that whatever God allows to come our way, He loves us, and he will give us sufficient grace to endure and remain faithful to him. He goes on to say, of course, sometimes the trial is the work of Satan. Paul wrote that in Thessalonians. It says, for we wanted to come to you, but Satan stopped it. But whatever may be going on, we know that that God is at work, that God's allowing this to happen, and God is bringing them through safely. We know this from James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, do you think their faith was tested in this moment? I, I, would, I guarantee you. I, I would imagine some of you this morning, your faith is being tested this morning. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all my joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance will have its perfect and complete results so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's what I want to encourage you today, that even if you're going through or will go through or have gone through one of these moments in your life that is just seared upon your memory, that perhaps our passage this morning will help us make sense of that a little bit. And perhaps will help us to navigate those trials a little bit so that whether you're going through something now or will go through something in the future, you will be prepared for moments like this when you go through various trials and God is producing endurance in you. So let's see this in this passage. Here's why I want to do it this morning. Nick, I believe that slide is back there. Um, I'm going to use this method at least one more time with y'all. Remember when we used this 10 weeks ago? Do you remember this, the sword method? Some of you were here. I'd say I got a lot of good feedback from that, uh, from people saying, hey, look, in my personal Bible study, when I was going through a difficult passage of Scripture, and, and I'll explain this in a minute, when, when I used that, it, it really opened it up for me, where I was able to ask these six questions of Scripture and, and really see what God is doing in that passage, what God is revealing to us in that passage. Um, 
we have our small groups that even use this for some of their questions every week when they, when they gather. These are the six questions they ask about every passage that, that we go through. This is what uh, missionaries overseas um, uh, use as they start house churches and new Christians come to faith. This is one of the first things they teach new Christians to use to, to how to read the Bible. And so I want to give this tool to you again, and I want to use it as we walk through this passage to outline our sermon this morning. And if you don't write this down, there are sheets in the back that you can take along with you um, to help you. The first question that we want to ask of this passage, as we should ask of anything in Scripture, is what does this tell us about God? That's what Scripture is. It's God's special revelation to us, God making himself known to us. And so the first thing at the tip of the sword here, we, we want to ask the question, what does this passage tell us about God? Even a narrative of a shipwreck. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my personal reading, right now I'm reading through Joshua, and there are a lot of narratives in that. And sometimes it can be difficult to say, okay, God, God what are you saying in these passages? So what, what does this passage tell us about God? I think there's several things that we can see here in Acts chapter 27, 27 and following. I think we can see that God is the creator of the universe. We, we can make that. It doesn't say it explicitly in this passage. But throughout this passage, we see the power of God over natural elements like the sea and the wind that are evident in this passage. And, and so we see in this passage what some, some things that we learn about God as we, remember, you're, you're thinking application already. What, what do we know as we're going through trials? We know that God is the creator of the universe. We know that the God, God is creator of all things. As one theologian said, there is not one square inch in all of creation that God does not say, that is mine. It's all his. He created it all. God is the creator of the universe. Something else that we notice in this passage is not only is God the creator of all things, but God is in control of all things. And isn't that good news for us this morning? That we don't have a God, a, a, as, as deism says, that God kind of created everything, then he just kind of steps back and sees it unfold. Uh, that's not what we see in this passage, and we know that because God had given a promise uh, to get Paul to Rome. And, and so we're going to see, if, as we read the whole passage, that God gets him to Rome, so we know that God is not, is not just the, the creator of the universe, yes he is, but he's also sovereign over it. That the whole situation is under his divine sovereignty. Yeah, I'm talking about this situation here, but your situation too. He is the creator of all things. It's all his. God is sovereign, so he is the creator. He controls all things. Every situation is under his hands. And don't miss this. Every situation is under his care. That's something that we need to understand here, that God not only the creator and the controller, but he is the provider. This is God's providence that we see in this passage. And what God's providence means is that God will see to it that what he ordains comes to pass. He will see to it with his own fatherly if that means having wheat on the boat so that they can have a bite to eat and be encouraged upon the way, God in his providence will put Paul on a ship with sufficient food on it. 
If it meant that there's just going to be just enough pieces of wood for those folks to float to shore so that the promises of God that not a hair on any of their heads will perish before they safely make it to shore, God in his providential care will see to it that every one of those 276 folks on that ship will make it to shore. Isn't that good news? That God will see to it. That the creator who is sovereign over all things, who in his providence with his, pro- with his fatherly hands sees to it that all these things will come to pass in his timing. And we also see that God is faithful, that he's trustworthy, that what he promises will come to pass, that he doesn't go back on any of his promises. We see, as we sang this morning, that his faithfulness is great and his compassion never fails. That he's merciful, he's gracious and compassionate even to these sailors and these centurions. God is gracious and compassionate. And we also see that God is a deliverer. He will bring us through the trials, he will bring us through the water, and he will bring us safely We see a lot about God in this passage, don't we? God has revealed himself to us in a passage like this, hasn't he? And there's a second question we want to ask. We're going to ask these uh, some six questions. And so the first question we asked, are you comforted already from the trials that you might face? Are you comforted from who God is? That's where we want to start. That's what does this passage tell us about people? Because we know that the Word of God tells us about God, but it also exposes our intentions, doesn't it? That we do not only just read the Word of God, but the Word of God, what? It it reads us. When you read the Scripture, you realize, okay, this Word understands me. This Word convicts me. This Word understands me and guides me and leads me. And so what does this passage tell us about people? I, I think in an indirect way, I've as I've looked through this passage, I realize something about people. And I'm realizing it right now, even as I work, look around our world, that people are capable, even though men, we are extraordinarily sinful, we are totally depraved, we're sinful people, but being made in the image of God, man can do some pretty phenomenal things, can't they? You, you just have to look at a, at a city skyline. Uh, sitting in, in, in Zephyr Field, I refuse to call it the Shrine on Airline. I don't understand that, that term at all. But I was sitting at Zephyr Field on Friday night watching a football game, and there flies over these huge jets, uh, airplanes that are landing at the airport. And I'm thinking, like, somebody thought of that. Like, how to go fast enough, how to do, like, Bernoulli's principle, is that right? of how the air pressure flies, goes over the wing, and those things take off, and you can be like in Chicago in two hours. Like, man can come up with some stuff. And, and even looking at the news this week, right, that this saltwater intrusion, is, Lord willing, it won't reach us, is, is coming to up, not down, but up the river, right? And so we're able, man has this, this plan to lay these pipelines from Jefferson Parish 15 miles upriver with these huge pumps along the way to pump fresh water into the systems that process water from the river that come out of our pipes that we are able to drink and not die by drinking. That's pretty awesome, right? 
And, and so we, you're, maybe you're not impressed here that, that these men are able to tie, you heard in the passage, right? Tie these ropes around the, the rudders and, and find ways to make it to shore and, 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 and be resilient in times of distress. And, and so maybe because we've come a long way in, in development and we wouldn't have like things we're banging on to see how many fathoms down the water is. We'll have these like sonar radars and all these things that we can see the bottoms of the oceans and whatever else. And so maybe you're not impressed, but this, this is a pretty impressive thing of what's going on here. And, and so you realize that people made in the image of God are able to do some pretty resilient things. But, but we also know that as resilient as man, man is, we get frightened. There's things in this world that scare us to death. And you saw it in these sailors, right? They're, they're ready to jump ship. Like you're going to face trials that, as I said, I, I wish I wasn't there. I, I would rather be anywhere but facing that. Because we realize as great as God has allowed us to come up with all sort of developments like seafaring and everything else and everything we see today, we realize that we are weak people. We realize that standing in the middle of the storm, this is a life-threatening situation. That we are not immortal in that way. And it humbles even the bravest individuals. We also see the sinfulness of man, don't we, in this passage. We see how resilient and great people can come up with all these ideas and we see that even even though man is great they're frightened because there are some things that we cannot do like avoid death we also see some things about man that when we're going through trials and tribulations and difficulties we tend to focus on self-preservation we tend to focus on ourselves do you notice this with the sailors they were ready to jump ship. Do you, do you notice this with the centurion as he told these soldiers, don't kill Paul, that they knew that if these prisoners were to escape, as you see throughout Scripture, that that would cost them their lives. If they allowed these prisoners to escape alive, they would be killed for that. And so in self-preservation, let's kill the criminals, say they died at sea, and we would not be to blame for this. And we see this with the sail. We don't want to go down with the ship, so we are out of here. So we see some things about people, that people can be self-centered and self-focused. And we see something else about people, don't we? People need to be encouraged when they go through trials. Did you notice that in this passage that Paul, this is this timeout. For 14 days you haven't eaten. Like you've been caught in this place of suspense. Did you notice here uh, what, what he says in verse 33? You have continued in suspense and without food and have taken nothing to eat. He's saying, guys, we got to stop and eat. we got to stop and have a meal or this will do us no good. And he stopped and took bread. He broke the bread. He gave thanks. This is not the Lord's Supper here. He's just having a meal may sound like the Lord's Supper, but he's giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He's testifying to the faithfulness of God as he prays before this meal and breaks bread. And do you see what it says in verse 36? Maybe you want to underline this. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. It tells us something about people, don't we? That doesn't it? 
Now, when folks are going through trials, maybe there's a reason people bring you food when you're sick and we're going through trials. There's something that encouraged me greatly. I, re- I remember someone when we were going through COVID brought our family, this was a couple years ago, brought us more Chinese food than we could ever possibly eat. And man, I was encouraged by that. Because someone thought about me and cared for me and sought to nourish me during a very difficult time. People need to be encouraged. And so we see some things about God. We see things about people. And then we want to kind of start thinking through the application. So as you're reading this passage, maybe on your own tonight, or any passage of Scripture as you're going through your Bible reading, do you think that'll preach? I think it's already preached, hasn't it? What we see about God, what we see about man as we go through this trial. So then we want to ask, what are the specs of this passage? What, what is the application of this passage? And you've probably put some of the things all together all, already, haven't you? As you've understood who God is, understood who we are, perhaps you've already started putting some of those things together of what the application of this is. So some of this might come across as repeat. There's some sins to avoid, and some of these things I mentioned, that's the S. There's some sins that we need to avoid, and, and some of it isn't outright sinful. It may just be unwise or mistakes that we need to avoid, but some of the stuff is outright sinful. You, you think about the overconfidence of the sailors and the overconfidence of the soldiers when Paul said, we don't need to brave this weather. We need to hold in this port for a little while while this weather passes. Remember that last week? And they say, no, we want to go. Why? Probably because they were getting a bounty from the emperor for bringing this wheat across um, the, 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 the sea. But we see the overconfidence, that they're confident in themselves. They're not fearful of God or, or nature or anything like that. They're overconfident. They ignore warnings. So these are all mistakes, maybe some applications, some things we need to avoid, and even sins we need to avoid. Lack of discernment, like should we go on with this journey? But there's some outright sinful things, right? We mentioned it just a minute ago, selfishness. Thinking about yourself above all. When you are in a desperate situation, only thinking about saving yourself, the soldiers for killing the prisoners or the sailors from jumping on the lifeboats and leaving the ship behind in a desperate attempt to save themselves, showing no empathy or compassion but only selfishness. Those are some things that we need to avoid when we're going through trials. And maybe you might think of this, that some other things that we need to avoid is, is putting our trust in, in worldly solutions. They, they were told, these soldiers at this time, that, that you probably should kill these prisoners in order to save yourself. That was the worldly solution in order to save themselves. And so, so maybe as you're thinking through going through trials and difficulties, and now that you're in situations you don't want to be in, the selfishness that could arise the trust in worldly solutions that should arise. These are all things that we should avoid as we're going through trials. And even as we try to avoid these things, let's go to the next one, the P. There's promises that when you're going through trials, count it joy. Why? Because who God is, right? There's some promises that he made, particularly to Paul. Do you remember this? That, that, Paul, that he told Paul that I will get you to Rome. And that's why Paul was so certain to say, not one person on this ship, no one's going to die. We're all going to get safely to shore. Do you think in day 14 they thought that was going to be true? 
Probably not. Not saying this is easy. Life is uncertain. But what is certain is the promises of God, so we cling to the promises of God. We cling to the promise that He is in sovereign control. That His promises, listen to me, brothers and sisters, that His promises are not contingent on human efforts or circumstances, but are fulfilled according to His sovereign will. Let me say that again. His promises are not contingent on your efforts or circumstances, but are contingent upon His sovereign will. And whatever God ordains will come to pass. We also know the promise that God uses trials to shape our character and strengthen our faith. That's a hard promise, but it's a promise nonetheless. That no matter what you may be walking through, that God will use that. He will. He promised that He will use that to shape your character and strengthen your faith. We also have the promise of God's presence. God shows up along the way and speaks to Paul through his angel and lets him know what's going on. God still shows up and he still speaks to us through his word in this word today. God's presence brings us reassurance and comfort. And God promised, lo, I am with you even till the end of the age. He will never, never leave you or forsake you. You can bank on that. That's a promise to trust. That God's plans are fulfilled even in adverse circumstances. That God will be there not only to, to be there as a, as, your, as a presence, but he will give his fatherly guide along the way. That God will be faithful along the way. That not only will God guide you, but he will be faithful along the way. That the God who promised that not a hair from their head would be lost because they had received this promise, God will be faithful to that promise. These are all promises you can bank on. And for them, the promise was, I'll get you all safely to shore. The promise for believers today, Philippians, don't believe me, believe the Bible. Philippians 1, 6 says this, He who began a good work in you will complete it. He who saved you by His grace will get you all the way safely to shore. He will get you home. He will get you across the sea as the enemy presses behind you and you see no way out and you see a sea in front of you, the same God that split that sea and completed that work and brought his people across the Red Sea on dry land to a place where they could worship. That same God will split the sea, for he has conquered death, and you will walk through death and only be swallowed up by life, not the sea, but life. He will bring you safely home. He made a promise to these folks on the ship that he would get them safely to shore, but he has made a better promise, an even fuller promise to us, brothers and sisters, that no matter what you are walking through, he will get you safely home into his presence forever. You can bank your life on that. Now in these other two, there's some examples to follow. You've seen them along the way. Perhaps the example of Paul we can follow. 
the example to remain faithful and to remain confident even when things don't seem like they will work out or perhaps you don't see a way out. You know God will get you there. And so you continue to walk in the way of the promise of God. So there are some examples to follow, particularly the example of Paul. To say God has promised, so we'll keep walking. God has promised he will get us all the way home. Perhaps the example of Paul, even as we see here, to encourage folks. As you are going through a time where you're clinging to the promises of God, maybe you're on top of the world walking through a mountaintop experience of following God and you have some people that are down in the valley. Perhaps the call, the example that you need to follow this morning is, is find someone to encourage. Bring them a meal, right? Find someone to encourage. So there's examples in this passage to follow. There's commands to obey. Commands to trust in God's word. Perhaps one of the biggest plans that... Uh, um, Commands that we can obey. I shared this with someone this week. That one of the most common commands, I've said this to you before as well, that we see in the Bible is what? In one way, shape, or form is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Not because there aren't things to fear, but because God is with you. And we have his promises to cling to. One of the most common commands in the Bible, do not be afraid. Take courage. Trust God's timing. Trust in God's promises. There's commands in this passage to obey. And so as we close out, I want to ask you this question. Here's the final question of application. We see the sins, promises, examples, and commands. But missionaries on the field in this pastor today is going to ask you this question as they would ask people who have been through this passage and went through a Bible study like this, the final question of application would be this. Who needs to hear that story? Who, who do you know in your life? And maybe it's you this morning. Like you need to hear that and be encouraged by who God is and what his promises are. You need to be encouraged by that. Perhaps there's someone in your life this morning that, that needs to hear that story. Maybe you can tell them that story as you bring them a meal. I don't know. Say, hey, man, we, we went through Acts 27 this week in church on Sunday morning. And, and let me tell you about this guy, Paul and Luke, who are on a ship. And God had promised to bring all of them safely across. But let me tell you, it did not look like that would happen. The sailors were trying to abandon the ship. The soldiers were trying to kill the prisoners. They got stuck on a reef when they were almost there. The ship was completely broken apart. But God got them safely ashore. And I, I can tell you that that same God that brought them through that various trial, that those trials that test our faith and produce endurance, that same God, and if you will cling to him, he will bring you through that. And he will bring you safely home because we have a promise that Philippians 1, 6, that if he begins a work in you, he will complete it. Like, do you want to begin to follow Christ this week? Do you want to give your life to him and, and know that encouragement and, and, and know that strength and know that hope that is ours in Christ? Do you, do you want to follow Christ today? Well, let me tell you how to follow Christ. Is there someone that needs to hear that story? And maybe it's you this morning. Maybe you're overwhelmed with life and wondering, is there any hope or how will you even face the days ahead? Here's the promise for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. Fear not, Isaiah 43, I'll, I'll close with this. Fear not, 
you're in, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. And the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. I will gather you, says the Lord. Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, who I have formed and I have made, fear not. You are his. Let's pray.